main struggles that people are facing in modern Halloween celebrations. The lack of kids trick-or-treating on the streets. Yes. The numbers are going down. Either, you know, and we have an overpopulation problem. Just kidding. I don't know that. I mean, I think the world is. That is actually fake and racist, but please continue. (laughs) I know. I I did say it mainly as a joke, but like, (laughs) anyways. But like, the schools have the same amount of kids in them, if not more. So there's no reason that there should be less kids. Wait, is that not true? No, it is true. I mean, I think it depends on the schools, but every school in my neighborhood, my parents' neighborhoods are... Exactly. We see children so much more often going and trick-or-treating at malls now. Yeah, I hate it. I hate it too. It's so... Like, could we make the commercialization of this event even (laughs) more noticeable? So my solution to the declining amount of children coming to -to trick-or-treat door-to-door is reverse trick-or-treating. When you go door-to-door handing out candy. It's just a group of adults. We need to reverse trick-or-treat. That's the way to do it. There are some flaws. Let's hear them. How do you know that there's going to be kids in the house? Doesn't matter. Reverse trick-or-treating is open to all. What are your other flaws? See, it's a flaw. The more I'm thinking about it, the less flaw. Mostly just because I want to do that. That sounds fun. Right? I think it's so clever. And my mom always has like a witch's hat that she likes to wear or like some sort of like Halloween themed jewelry. You kind of put your like light costuming on. Not full. Or you can do full. I don't care what you do really. And then yeah, just take like a big bucket of candy and walk around. Stop kids on the street if you want. (laughs) Hey kids, want some candy? Quite literally, yes. It is. I understand there's some... That might be a slight issue. Rent a paneled van. Drive around. (laughs) (laughs) Every time you see kids, stop. Slowly open the door and hand a bag of candy. Okay, well, I think you just ruined reverse trick-or-treating, but I stand by it. I think it's a great idea. If done in an appropriate way. I think John Wayne Gacy ruined reverse trick-or-treating. Who's John Wayne Gacy? Serial killer. Um, anyways. I'm, yeah, Those I'm that know will laugh. <laughs> Good. Okay. Sorry that I'm not up to date on my serial killer knowledge. It's fine. It's the only thing about you that's not basic. It's so true. <laughs> Welcome to Pantry Staples bonus episodes. Yeah. Little mini Halloween app. Very spooky, except I don't know. Spoopy. Not that spooky. Spoopy. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's my favorite meme. I love it. Well, this is a mini app where we're going to dish on your favorite Halloween candy. I hope that you have more good puns for us this episode. I do not. I don't know if I do. Well, we'll see. This was a little Flap and dash for you. (laughs) Yeah. I do have some fun uh, Marxist rhetoric. (laughs) Oh, that's good. That'll be very nice. Eh. It goes nicely with my discussion about, you know, paganism. Fabulous. What a pairing. May (laughs) I start you off with a brief history of Halloween? Please, Halloween it up. For the, just disclaimer here, there is scholarly research that has been done into this, but because so much of what we're looking at here is, like, oral tradition or things that don't necessarily have the most written records or archaeological evidence to back them up there's a lot of kind of this is probably right but maybe not so I will say 
mostly accurate as much as we can make it. But anyways, I have a quote here from this lovely article I read, which I will. Oh, also, I haven't been posting the sources. I will get to that. It's I have been not. sending me that. I it's know. Fine. So um, It's ugh, slap and dash the name of the game. Anyways, the quote is, what began as a pagan New Year celebration and a Christian commemoration of the dead has over time served as a harvest festival or a romantic night of mystery for young adults, an autumnal party for adults, a costumed begging ritual for children, a season for exploring fear in a controlled environment, and most recently, heavily commercialized product exported by the United States to the rest of the world. So I think that's a great summary of kind yes. of what we're looking at in terms of the early history and its modern history as well. Mm-hmm. The other kind of quote that I have for you here, <laughs> the unassailable fact of Halloween, facts of Halloween are fourfold. First, it boasts both pagan and Christian history. Secondly, its position in the calendar at the end of autumn and beginning of winter means it is always served in part as a harvest festival. Third, it is related to other festivals of the dead around the world, and so has always had a somber, even morbid element. Finally, however, in its combination of pagan New Year celebration and a joyful harvest feast, have also given it a raucous... Is that how you say that word, by the way? Raucous. Raucous, thank you. Oh my god. (laughs) Side. And it has almost always been observed with parties and mischief making. So I think these are some great parameters for us to work within. Mm -hmm. First of all... There is a historian from 1786. He came to Ireland and he was obsessed with all the like Celtic like lore, the Druids and everything. His name was Charles Valency. And he talked a lot of shit. (laughs) He is one of the people or the person who perpetuated the idea that this is a celebration of the devil because he changed the word. It's how do you say it? It's so hey, like Sam Hain is how it looks in the texts. I don't know. I don't speak Erse? Gaelic? What is it then? Nobody speaks Gaelic. Erse is just the crossword <laughs> version of it. <laughs> Sawan. There we go. Remember Sawin. that. I'll forget in a minute. <laughs> Sawan. So the idea that Sawan has this like devilish element to it is because he basically made up that that was a name for like the Lord of the Dead. So people will still, in modern like times, say Lord Samhain. But he's but just making that up. He just, he, just... he just got it from nowhere. Like, there's no evidence to support this. It was disproven, like, immediately after he put it out. Like, I think 1818, there was some dude putting some really scathing words of kind of basically a sick diss track to his article. It. Yeah. So this guy's full of nonsense. And <laughs> it's not about that. Like, Samhain, Samhain? How did I just tell So Wayne. So Wayne. Uh, sorry to the Irish and the informed. Um, they, it's not about that at all. It's like this Celtic ceremony. It's very much a harvest festival. It's set at the end of the like summer season into the winter when basically they're just having a massive feast because they've slaughtered everything and picked everything. Like mm-hmm. this has no devil connotations to it. It's just pure ignorance. Hmm. yeah great also the catholic origins of this day which is all hallows eve so this is the night before all saints day which is Mm -hmm. november 1st Mm. so basically what our modern day kind of not really modern but like the more halloween element to this is an example of synecrism that the catholic church used to convert pagan cells basically correct which makes total sense and it's something that you know all good 
you know, dictators have been doing for years is you take the religion that you're trying to impose on a place and you match it with what's there. The Romans did this very successfully. That's part of why they were such a good empire or a strong empire for such a long time. Uh, basically, they see that Sahe is three days. So they put this All Hallows Eve as the day before All Saints Day. And then there ends up being like one other, I think it's like All Souls Day that's the mm-hmm. second. So to make it into a three-day festival as well so that the timelines match up with it. Right. So there's also this rumored link to the Roman festival of Pomona, which is like the goddess of like harvest and like abundance and that sort of stuff. It's not. That's just not. Although, again, there's so little actual like written record of this that I mean, technically, I can understand why. I don't know. You just don't know. I wasn't there. But the gist of it is. I know, I I know I look ancient as hell, but in fact, I was not there in, like, the 500 CE time period. There's this huge, like, again, this is very much something that comes from an outsider perspective of people making up these really, like, like, torrid stories of what the Celtic people were into. There is an article where they say the Celtic tradition, there was minimal human sacrifice, which is the most polite way of saying this because there was others where there was like, they would kill anyone and eat them. Like that's what it was. But anyways, minimal human sacrifice, often victims chosen from their own tribes by drawing lots in the form of bits of cake. And whoever received the piece with the blackened bottom was offered to the gods to ensure fertility of the herds, a fruitful harvest or victory in battle. I only really wanted to bring that up because I think it's interesting to see the like way that this kind of like spooky ceremony is still using food very much as a central role to it. Mm, yeah. And sorry, do we know that that's true or that's not just like still them making it up? It's like, yeah, they were slaughtering their own people. I would imagine it's conjecture because I think of any time that there is actual like, can't not necessarily cannibalism, but like human sacrifice going on. Mm. I think the archaeological record is pretty sure about it. Right. Like, it it looks different, right? Than mm-hmm. just like a mass grave or whatever. I don't know. There's there's signs to it. And I just, yeah. I just don't think so. But again, I don't fucking know. The amount of times when archaeologists and historians have like vastly exaggerated the level of like human sacrifice in order to reinforce the barbarism of mm-hmm. specific... Like- we need to put depravity into everything or else we won't be able to identify that it's, you know, another person, like an other. Yeah, or establish our own superiority. Mm-hmm. So there's that. There is one thing that's interesting that you can find in the archaeological records is that this Sauhe is, am I Sauwin? I don't know. I'm I don't sure. remember anymore. <laughs> it's thought by archaeological, archaeological. I can't even talk today, archaeologists to be one of the few days where the Celts drink alcohol. So this leads into this idea of it being a celebration of like a huge wild party. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting, I thought, too. So in around the mid 8th century, uh, Pope Gregory III moved the Feast of the Martyrs, which was an already established Catholic celebration, to November 1st, which was the day of the Celtic celebration and indicated that it was henceforth to be celebrated or celebration of All Saints Day. A hundred years later, Gregory the Fourth ordered universal observance of the day. Mm-hmm. So we see this really intense meshing of these two, which completely makes sense because the easiest way to get on a population's good side is for everyone to believe the same thing. Yeah. Um, 
Some of the first written records of Halloween appear around 1511, one saying, We read in old time good people would on all Halloween day bake bread and del it for Christian souls. This is the actual, like, the funny old English spellings to it, so that's why I'm struggling there. Uh, so this is suggesting that there's already an established practice of making special food for Halloween. Mm-hmm. We see references to, like, the demonic in there in, like, the devil food cake and deviled eggs, which, again, I don't think is super traditional. But the idea of baking bread for it is, so they would call, call them soul cakes, mm. uh, which are for all Christian souls. People would go knock door to door to get these soul cakes, and in return, they would offer a prayer for the souls of the deceased of that household to kind of help their passage through purgatory. Oh! Yeah! Which uh-huh. I thought was so nice. So it's called souling, mm-hmm. which makes sense. And this is something that we see even after the Protestant Reformation of the Church. So it was a pretty hard to stamp out practice, which would make sense considering we're still seeing a very mutated version of that today. It's actually interesting that you brought that up because I, in my Marxist article, Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, the way that they kind of introduced the morphing of Halloween into like the kind of candy fueled consumerist practice that it is today is very different and almost made it sound like there was no candy or treats really involved before. Oh, interesting. And see, this is, I think, what the, the like thing about it is, too, is that there's so much conjecture of how this all came to be. Like, I mean, we know that these things happened because we have mm-hmm. records of that. We also know that it's completely different right now. We know, you know, what we can see with our own eyes and what we've heard with our own ears. But so much of this is just kind of too much in the past and kind of not really written down. The Celtic people didn't really write any of their religious practices down. The only Mm. records that we're getting are from outside sources who did write them down because it was an established practice not to write them. It was only an oral religion or Mm -hmm. orally shared religion. So, you know, I don't know what to say about that. That's interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Um, So then I wanted to talk next about one of... I think the funnest kind of food related things of Halloween, which is bobbing for apples. Oh, yay. Which this portion of my information is even less substantial than anything (laughs) I've just told you. Because basically the records that discuss it are so like conflicting. So I think first we have just shout out back to the Greeks and the Romans. We have this idea of like apples being used as a tool for like romance and like selection of partners mm. all the way back to the like what is it the choice of paris judgment of paris thank you judgment of paris or where... now am i getting just getting confused with the california wine thing no it's judgment of paris yeah you're Carry right on. I'm... I'm right yeah yeah <laughs> um so the judgment of paris where he you know selects which of these three goddesses he finds the most beautiful by handing them an apple and like there's this very famous painting and it's got an apple in it it says to the fairest and he hands it to Aphrodite so there's this connection that we see here with like sexuality I guess not so much sexuality on oh I but more so just like with like I don't want to say like establishing mates but like that idea of this is the person because this was done at such a time when, like, there was no real, like, there was courtship before, but it was basically, like, you were married and that was that. This was the only person you were with. It was exclusively virgins before marriage, like, well, officially. Uh. <laughs> um, and, like, that sort of thing. So it was this idea of very much, like, this was a way, 
that you could potentially influence a man's decision. And like, that's right. kind of what that contest is a little bit about. Mm-hmm. Because we have these other myths that the Romans brought apples and like apple trees over to like uh, the UK, basically, mm-hmm. when they came over. And then again, that Pomona, like Pum, I feel like mm. there's a connection there. Uh, goddess, that's not what the celebration is, but that is where the apple bobbing myths basically come from. Is right. saying, okay, they were celebrating her and so bobbing for apples was part of it. I don't necessarily think it's that. I think still we are seeing this original Celtic harvest festival where you're just taking the abundance that nature has and you're, you know, using it. If there's a feast and there's a bunch of apples on the tree, why wouldn't we eat these apples? Why wouldn't we do something wacky with them? Yeah. Which was bob for them. Or there's other examples of it. So one, they could be on strings and you would basically like try and take a bite out of it. And if it took one try, that was going to be like, the perfect relationship and you were very much in love forever. Two, it was like, this is going to be a rocky one. Three bites, don't even bother. Like, this is a <laughs> terrible time. This is not not it for you. Uh, so that's one example of how we see this. But then there's also, like, the actual more traditional apple bobbing, which is called ducking in Scotland these days, which I think is very cute. Like, ducking oh, yeah. apples. Mm-hmm. Um, where either you write the name of the person that you're interested in and then you try and get that apple. Or now, just a free-for-all into a bucket of spit which like in a pandemic oh yeah it's like, not disgusting. COVID friendly it's uh not. have you ever done it I have actually yeah it was um god I want to say like the second grade or the first grade uh where I went to a Halloween party with a bunch of kids and there was it set up and I was like this kind of seemed grody because I was a persnickety little bitch already at like <laughs> six or seven years old uh but yeah did it not that easy or maybe I'm just bad at it but I felt no I think it's cold. like they're bobbing around you gotta like and you can't use your hands they're tied behind you firmly have you done it uh yeah I feel like like similar circumstance like mm. baby yeah grade two or three mm. so there's some thoughts on apple bobbing right there for you and like people really want to associate it with this Roman tradition but I just don't feel like that fits right but like the facts are we've both done it we know apple bobbing is a thing associated with Halloween we mm-hmm. know that like Europe like more like eastern or not eastern but like southern europe was definitely where apples were probably coming from definitely probably so that's all i got for you apple bobbing it's weird can't believe we do that it is weird like again so many practices that these days we're like oh we were okay with that like a year or two ago weird (laughs) times i feel like there was like some anti-apple bobbing going on for a while and then if we also want to continue with apples and halloween like the massive cultural phenomena of everybody being afraid of apples with razor blades in them. Are you going to talk about this? Uh-huh. Excellent. On to you now. Okay. Um, all right. Well, let's just start with me talking about this Halloween and consumerism article, which I'm just going to tell you the title because it was very good for my skimming. Uh, it's trick or treat question mark, Halloween lore, passive consumerism and the candy industry by Susan Honeyman. Hmm. Very nice. Uh, so it's basically about how kids nowadays are like losing their agency and right to trick in exchange for passively accepting sweets. Oh. And it's so Marxist and great, but like kind of dense. So my skimming of this is like me. 
iffy. And I also just have like these big block like quotes because she has big block quotes. So I was like, this is so good. So Love. I'm going to be reading to you a little bit. Perfect. So here's this first one by a man named Nicholas Rogers. It says, quote, trick or treating sought to marginalize adolescent pranking and to diffuse the antagonism inherent in the festive tribute, transforming the exchange into a rite of consumption. In this new convention of festive doling, children dressed up and unreflexively requested candies from local neighbors with little sense of what tricking might mean. I mean, accurate. I've never thought to trick anyone. I was just going to ask. I feel like I have a memory of, like, knowing that it was, like, some people would, like, throw eggs at houses or, like, TP them. Yeah, that's a traditional, like, Halloween kind of nonsense and tomfoolery. Mm -hmm. And I knew that that was, like, possibly, like, the trick involved. But I also feel like I had, there was a time, and this actually, like, came up in the article where it was, like, like, some old man... When I was like maybe seven, I was like, yeah, we went up, said trick or treat. And he was like, trick, like, what are you going to do? And I was like, I don't know. And I feel like I did a dance or something because it was me. And I-, I love that. That is very you. Yeah. Well, but I didn't know because it's. No. So it's interesting that this night and you didn't really talk on it, but it's up until kind of like the 30s. And then we start to see this transition Halloween in America, especially, and like in the UK a little bit, was really about like kids like running rampant. I may interject here that mm-hmm. one of the things that I read about it is because these festivals would have this abundance of animals being slaughtered, that they would be able to use like the organs for like playthings, like balls to kick around and stuff. So there is this kind of tradition early on of like children being allowed to do things kind of outside of societal norms. Or not necessarily outside of societal norms at that point, but, like, outside of their daily routine, at least. Like, mm-hmm. more fun things. Yeah. Well, and it's also important to remember that, like, in the early 1900s, kids were still, like, laborers. Yeah, I was going to say. They were in the workforce. <laughs> yes. But that was the thing where it was, like, kids. And I think, again, most of this was happening kind of more in the rural areas. Mm. Like, part of what then transitioned into the trick or treat with the emphasis on the treat was the desire of the people as we become kind of more residential kind of get into more suburban or fully urban is they don't want like soap all over their windows you don't want your fence like kicked in you don't want your pigs let loose (laughs) like Like, mischief is destructive for the community so much of what i like did briefly skim to and i didn't really want to get into it because i figured Mm -hmm. you were going to is just the idea of like how we have attempted to like sterilize halloween because it's such a like threatening force in the community yeah but i think it's funny because the reason that we initially had this sort of one night of rebellion was in order to it's i mean it's the purge (laughs) but not. Yeah, but very lightly. But it is. It's kind of this trade-off where, like, kids can do whatever they want. They can, instead of either being just kids who you're told what to do all the time, which is as it got kind of into the later, uh, like, 1900s, up to about the 30s, or then before, it's like, yeah, your day off work. (laughs) So dark. So dark. Once we get into, we've got kind of more cities, we've got suburban areas. It's not just kind of making a mess in the hen house. It's 
destruction of property and it's it's a lot of work so then the trick or treat kind of became like bribery or it was <laughs> the article kept referring to it as like a protection racket like the mob Oh my god, that's so dramatic. But it's true, right? It's I like, love it. Like you're going up, you're a kid, just like, what's it gonna be, fella? <laughs> Are you gonna pay up or face the consequences? Which, yeah, I guess if they're real consequences, that's a problem. Well, and that's what it was, like, in the 30s, and it was truly, if you didn't give them, like, a little sweet, then... They'd assault you or something. Oh my god! Not assault. I mean, they're like ten, like eight year olds. They would, yeah. I don't know. Oh my goodness. Uh. So yeah. So then it became what it is now, which is just a completely like alienated phrase. That yeah, and it's just a consumer holiday. So not surprisingly, the big transformation into this kind of more th- big focus on the treat rather than the trick came in the post-war era when candy companies were no longer uh, facing sugar rations. We're going to say, as all good things finally got to happen after World War II. World War II. Uh, They launched specific, like, Halloween-themed ads. Oh, yes. Which is very interesting. This article goes into how, like, a lot of advertising sought to emphasize a child's right to choose. (gasps) Oh! Wow. (laughs) Which is silly because A, kids don't have their own money most of the time, and B, don't have fully formed brains. (sighs) Interesting that we're talking about a child's right to choose in the 30s, hey? Or sorry, I mean the 40s. I mean, that's, I think that gets more later. Again, skim, 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 skim. Anyways. But it is kind of interesting because it's, you know, yeah, kids do have taste preferences and you know, they can have a free choice, even if it's kind of more influencing their parents' decisions. Or I suppose when you get to trick-or-treating, you get to pick what's out of the bag. Yeah, and trick-or-treating is then, uh, could be seen as a consumer practice for kids without the money oh. to participate in an actual consumer market. Fascinating. Yes. Um, oh, that's so cool. Yes. Okay, I have a quote from the book Candy Freak by Steve Almond, which... Mm-hmm. Love that for him. I don't know. The fact that his last name's Almond is so... It would be better if it was like Almond Joy or something like that. Oh, uh, Steve Almond Joy. <laughs> <laughs> no, his wife's name is Joy. Joy Almond. Oh, Joy Almond. All right. Quote. I have a hard time defending the production of candy, given that it is basically crack for children and makes them dependent in unwholesome ways, and given that much of our citizenry is bordering on obesity, just about what we deserve, and given that most folks who grow our sugar and cocoa are part of an indentured third world workforce, I think this is like an 80s book, who earn enough per annum to buy maybe a Snickers bar. And given that the giants of the candy industry are, even as I write this, doing everything in their considerable power to establish freak hegemony over what they call developing markets, meaning hooking the children of Moscow and Beijing and Nairobi on their dastardly confections. (laughs) I mean, he's not wrong. (laughs) He's, uh, He's a bit inflammatory, but... No, it's like... I love an inflammatory comment. Yes, of course. (laughs) Like, that's rough and true. Yes, I mean, we do not have time to get into, like, the whole, like, sugar 
being the true like evil of society. One day we probably will. There's another book that was mentioned in this article that I'm very excited to one day read. I yeah, the sugar conversation is far larger. I'm like, anyways, that's we don't need to get into that. Okay, shall we now move on to urban legends re tampered Halloween candy? Yes. Okay. So basically it all began, I mean, it didn't all begin, but the like peak of these like razor blades in the apple myths began mm. in the seventies. Here are some wild quotes from newspapers. All right. So Newsweek, 1975. If this year's Halloween follows form, a few children will return home with something more than an upset tummy. In oh, recent my. years, several children have died and hundreds have narrowly escaped injury from razor blades, sewing needles, and shards of glass purposefully put into their goodies by adults. Wow. Okay, and then here's another one. Uh, which I think I didn't... This is from... I want to say Van Buren, 1985, which mm. I don't know what that publication is. Mm-hmm. It's Halloween again, and time to remind you that somebody's child will become violently ill or die after eating poisoned candy or an apple containing a razor blade. It's time to remind you? <laughs> if this is such a problem, I feel like people wouldn't need the reminder, but okay, thank you. Yeah, but I don't know. I remember like this. There was school, like PSAs, and we are not even in this realm. Like most no, of the peak of I'm this. I'm going to all my candy. I, yeah, and I think I learned in school and we talked about it like as a family to, yeah, you throw out anything that looks like it's been opened or it's like mm-hmm. discolored or weird. Parents would hold indoor Halloween parties instead of letting kids go trick-or-treating. Oh, wow. Um, there was like a whole thing where like apparently hospitals would advertise that they would x-ray candy. That's cool. Let's get some radiation on that. Yeah, so it was like law enforcement and the media were continually reinforcing this idea of Halloween sadism as like a credible threat. But is it? Um, no. Yeah, no. <laughs> Short answer is no. Not to bring my mom up so much in this episode, as per every episode, but like we literally had this conversation earlier and she's like, but I think it was. And I was like, just talking about the whole like idea of drugs in candy mm. to which my response is why would anyone give away their drugs for free like that drugs are expensive that makes no sense and she's like yeah but people did it like convinced of it like all I right so did do you ever remember hearing of anyone well here so i read this 1985 article that so it's 1985 so it's like still kind of like in it which i mm-hmm. think is actually very interesting because they're all like there's been very little like research on this, blah, blah, blah. So like, we're going to do the groundwork. But I know that I have read like other like newspaper articles or just like online publications that have since proven that is fully like debunked. Mm -hmm. So, but in 1985, so they went through a bunch of newspaper stories from 1959 to 84. And they only found two instances of deaths caused by tainted candy. Really? So they found 76 mentions of like sort of like Halloween like accents, like a bunch of stuff that was like kind of bad. But then most of that, they were kind of proven to be like some people kind of had like minor injuries, but like nothing was close to life threatening and two people died. So the two that died, 
So sorry, out of like 74, you said? 76. 76. In, what is that? Like a 30 year time span. Yeah. 26 years? 59 to 84? Is that math? Something like that. Um, And this was exclusively looking at publications in the US. Is that correct? It was publications in the US, but it covered, it was like international, I think. There was like a couple instances that were Canadian. Mm. And then like, but then the rest was like all over the States. Okay. Interesting. I'm genuinely shocked that there were the two cases. That seems like I expected none. Well, but here's the thing. So the first, 1970, and these are dark, sorry. Um, A five-year-old boy died after ingesting heroin thought to have been hidden in his candy. Ooh. However, so that was like really big news. That was super publicized because that's horrifying. That is horrifying. So upsetting. Um, But then there was like a follow-up article that got way less coverage that kind of... I like found out that the drugs were actually in his uncle's house. So it's like his uncle was like a heroin addict and he just like found it and ate it somehow. Cause it's like a little kid. Well, that's so Which, bad. super dark. And it like, so basically it was not his candy at all. It was just around the same time. Then, and this is like the most notorious and upsetting in 1974, an eight year old boy died from candy that was poisoned with cyanide. By his own father. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah, and I think that that case is the one that kind of had everyone, like, freaking out because the dad, I mean, he was, like, a complete monster, horrible person. Uh, And he basically went around and was trying to blame it on, like, some, like, sadist. I think he tried to, like, poison a bunch of other kids to make it look like (gasps) it wasn't his, but only his son died. Oh, wow. Yep. So that's kind of, I think, where all of this is coming from. And then it looks like everything else, because everyone's talking about it and is so freaked out. Like, kids are kind of maybe making it up or, like, trying to bring up, like, I don't know, like, my candy, blah, 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 just to, like, get attention. Or there's, like, super overprotective parents. Or, I don't know, people just don't like Halloween. I don't know why. I feel like there's so many people who just don't like Halloween. (laughs) rude um yeah so it's just basically the urban legends and this article that i was reading really got into it the fact that urban legends speak to like sociological tensions that are going on at the times so as modern society requires us to interact with strangers and diverse people we make up stories about how dangerous these strangers are or potentially could be to reassure ourselves that our xenophobia is warranted Ooh, yeah and then if we want to get conspiratorial and anti-capitalist about it, which we all do, the threat of Halloween sadism warns children not to accept homemade treats and to favor pre-wrapped mm-hmm. mass produced ones, which places commercialism and consumerism as a protective force. That's so true. I remember being given like homemade like candies of some sorts and I'm being like, that's going straight in the trash. Yeah, same. Which, and like, I don't mean to be rude, but, and I, again, this really deals with the tension that we are all feeling about anything like this in a very visceral way where I don't feel safe eating foods that like don't come out of 
you know, places that have standards that are checked, even though we know that all these huge corporations, like the health and safety standards are not up to stuff, it would probably be far more secure to have some old lady bake you a cookie and hand it to you on Halloween. Oof, what am I? I know. Have you bought any Halloween candy yet this year? I have not bought any Halloween candy. I don't anticipate that I will have any trick-or-treaters. And honestly, I've been eating so much junk at work lately that it's... I'm eating like a goddamn king, I tell you. (laughs) It would be insane for me to be eating Halloween candy right now. Just like truly psychotic. Have you had candy? I bought some today. Aw, very nice. I bought my favorite box, which is the Cadbury box. What's in the Cadbury box again? Refresh me. Wonder Bars, Mr. Big, Crispy Crunch, and Caramelks. Crispy Crunch and Wonder Bars are good. I don't like Mr. Big at all. I buy it exclusively for the Wonder Bars and the Crispy Crunch. I do, caramel is my least favorite. Caramel is not good. I we've had this conversation before though. I just don't really like caramel and chocolate together. I think caramel is delicious in other things, and car- chocolate just makes it too much. The one thing that I do like to do with the caramels is freeze them mm, because yeah. for some reason when they're like very cold, they're better. I think it's like the texture. Anyways, that's a whole thing. Mm-hmm. My favorite candy box is the red one that has Kit Kats, Arrows, Coffee Crisps, and one other thing. Uh, Smarties. Smarties. That's a perfect box. Don't give me that face. I don't like Smarties. I don't always like a Kit Kat. Oh, I love a Kit Kat. And I don't like arrows. Okay, well, I love an arrow too. I The best of it, though, is obviously the Coffee Crisp. Have I told you this? That for many Halloweens, like probably my entire childhood, my parents would take the Coffee Crisp and be like, oh, you won't like them. They're for us. And I didn't have a Coffee Crisp until literally years later. Your mom's a genius. It was both my parents, actually. They would both do it. And I was like, this Smart. is... Yeah, it took me... I was probably, like, 16 before I had a coffee crisp. <laughs> like, what the heck, man? Also, I feel like I just never really got a lot of Twix in the mix. Twix are bad. Yeah, they're not good. But there was, like... What's the one the box that comes with the Twix? There's, like, Twix, something, something, something. Like, it's a Snickers. Mars. Yeah. Snickers. I don't, I don't care for any of that. that. No, that entire box can get fucked. I also bought... Reese's Pieces stuffed Reese's. Yes. I'm going to eat one right now on air, which is rude, but my computer's about to die, so. This is some ASMR for you. I don't know. I haven't had one yet. Oh, it's got the actual pieces stuff in it. Oh, yes. Oh, I haven't had that. Tell me how it goes. Also, please tell us if you'd like us to start an ASMR channel. It's a very soft candy. Um, it's good. Hmm. I feel like the pieces have become too soft Hmm. inside of the full Reese. That's fair. Hmm. Well. I want Halloween candy now. I'm not going to go get it because one, I'm exceedingly lazy and two, everything is closed except for the Rabus and that's like a 15 minute walk. And again, very lazy. No, you're good. You don't need it yet. Get it when it's on discount. November 1st. Yeah, good point. Good point. The true best holiday. Not Mm -hmm. All Hallows Eve. Not Sohi or whatever it's pronounced as. (laughs) November 1st, day of discount Mm -hmm. candy. Perfect. Uh, 
well, thanks so much for listening to this little mini app. Hopefully it's actually going to be mini. <laughs> yeah. All right. So very happy Halloween to everyone. Yes. I'm choking. <laughs> My Reese. Revenge of the Reese. Um, <laughs> yeah. Happy Halloween, everybody. Uh, we will be back with a little bonus clip show at some point, And then our special episode on manners, manners. And habits yes, yes. Uh, and then season two dropping in January uh, and whatever other random and assorted nonsense that we feel like we'd like to get up to so there yeah follow us on Instagram at pantry staples pod rate review and subscribe it helps us a lot tell your friends and your enemies <laughs> we'll talk to you soon <laughs> Bye-bye. bye bye